household. Good morning, everybody. All right. Well, welcome. It's so good to see everyone here filling the place up. Just a second. Um, actually, yeah, I tell you what, I'll put one of these in the bake sale, maybe, see what we get. Look at that. Yeah, okay, some of you guys don't like that, but I do. <laughs> They're leaving a sticky mark everywhere here, too, it's kind of gross. When I was a kid, one of my early memories of my mom parenting me was a, a lesson in follow-through. Uh, we were at the grocery store, and I, was, I, I don't remember the grocery store part. I just remember what happened after. I, uh, I, was a, I had to be probably first grade or second grade maybe, and I wanted Hostess cupcakes really badly. So I don't know what kind of a fit I threw but my mom was so mad at me, so mad. And she actually ended up buying them for me. So I don't know how it worked, but she, she got them. I guess I'm a spoiled brat, um, one of those kids. And anyway, we came home with them. The reason I wanted them so badly was that I had seen a uh, commercial, probably Saturday morning cartoons, because you guys don't know this, but you could only watch cartoons on Saturday in the olden days. Uh, and so one of the cartoons was this guy who was a hostess cupcake man who's made like this, and he had a face and legs and arms and stuff, and he lived on an island, and he got kidnapped by some kind of bad guy, he, and he was the king of the island, but he got kidnapped, and he was on the other side, and this little boy came along, and he ate a cupcake, which is kind of weird that he eats what the king is, but he eats the king uh, separately, and he, and he then can fly, and he flies over the... I don't know if any of you remember this, but I do. And he flies over the the mountains and the volcanoes to the other side of the the island, and he saves the cupcake king. I thought that was awesome. (laughs) Well, so we got home, and my mom empties out the, the stuff, and I'm... I'm, starting, I'm feeling differently about this, and I vividly remember this. I'm sitting at our bar table and looking at my mom, and she's doing the thing across from me, and the fridge is there, and the stuff's coming out, and I go, I go, Mom, I've uh, I changed my mind. And she goes, no, you didn't. <laughs> I said, Mom, well, here's, here's what the deal is. I, I, saw, I wanted it because of this commercial I saw, but I'm afraid if I eat this cupcake, I'm going to fly. I was really afraid I was going <laughs> to fly. And she's like, you are going to fly if you don't eat that, okay? Yeah. So this is, but what I remember is my mom said, I'm going to make you eat that cupcake. She was so mad. She was so far gone in parenting. And I know none of you have ever been angry with your kids like that. She was so far gone. And so she said, I'm going to make you eat it. So it was like, it went from like something really good to like a, the worst vegetable ever. <laughs> but I ate it and, and I didn't fly. Uh, I was so sure that I knew that this cupcake was going to be good. It was going to be so good. And there were all these side benefits, right? I could be a hero. I could fly. It was going to taste great. You know, I thought I knew what good was. 
today we're going to talk a little bit about what really, what the word good really means. We're doing a series right now, as has been mentioned a couple times, and it's, we're calling it The Only One. And it's, it's a way that we're going to understand different aspects of the character of God. And the one we're looking at today is His goodness. And I'll probably say this a couple times in this message, but the fact that God is good, of all of the characteristics of God, to me, may be the most powerful thing. It, it, it's the one that I continually go back to, continually, again and again. God, thank you that you are good. The thing about it is, that my definition of good, my personal Scott Wynn definition of good, tends to be what's good for me. What I appreciate, what I love, what I think is important around the world, that is what is good. And I have all kinds of misunderstandings about what that might be. I didn't know when I was six years old that this probably, as Lisa is looking at me going, Ugh, isn't good for me. I thought it was good for me. I thought it would make me fly. You know, I thought all kinds of things that were good about it, but they, they weren't true. To me, goodness typically is something that I appreciate, that I think is good. What I want to do is I just want to ask you to stop for a second, take a deep breath, and think about what you believe is good, what your understanding of good is. Because I think... If we look at the scripture to see what good is and see who God is in that, they can have a profound impact on who we are, what we think, how we understand what God is doing and what we're engaged with in him because we understand what good is. So, if you will, just as I'm talking, just continually, if you will, go back and think, what is it that is good? What does it mean that something is good? What is good to me? What's good to you? And here, here's the main point. God is good. We've all heard that said a million times. God is good. But I want to emphasize one of those words. The middle one. God is good. So think about that for just a second. It's not just that God is good. God is Good. He is good. Our definition of good is God. We just don't know it. We've taken on our own definition of good. Let me read you what C.S. Lewis says along these lines. He says, God is not merely good, but goodness. Goodness is not merely divine, but God. Can you see right here how this diverges from my understanding of what's good? Because to me, good is what makes me happy. My comfort, my short list of things that are good, right? This is something different. God is good. God is what is good. So I want to take you through three points. One is our good, what we understand to be good, what that is, his good, and then everlasting good. Our good, his good, and everlasting good. So let's just take a minute to think about our good. How do we determine what is good? How how are we making those decisions and how should we? One thing I want to point out to you that's pretty interesting is that a good litmus test for what is good 
is that when something, we see something that is good, we experience something that is good, we give praise to God. Something that is good drives us to give praise to God. Think about that for a minute as you're defining what is good in your own mind, in your heart. Often in the scripture, you'll go through, if you were to go and look for uh, information about God and in his goodness, you will regularly see what Holden just read to us. Like in, I'll just read it again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. What you'll see is when it talks about his goodness, it involves, uh, or it's tied to, human beings giving praise to God. So when we're wondering what is good, we can say, all right, is this something worthy of giving praise to God for? Because that's what happens in the scripture. When we see goodness, we're catching a glimpse of God and it should send us to praise him. But our tendency is to look for the things that we want to call good that benefit us. We want to be the center of the universe of what is good. Uh, one of the first places that we see the word good in the scripture, and you guys all know this, is when God is creating, he finishes a day of work, and he says it's good. Remember that? He punctuates all these events with the words, it, it was good. What he made was good. Right? Well, then... We get to the first humans, also created, also good, right? And what was the thing that took them down, that destroyed them? It was their desire to know, like God, good and evil. You ever thought about that for a minute? What they wanted was to be like God in knowing good and evil. In other words, they wanted to help define what good and evil was. They wanted to have that kind of power. Something out there they didn't know. God was hiding something from them about what good was. And they wanted to know it and they wanted to own it. And so we suffer today. And we still are doing, and I'll just put it on me, I'm still doing the same thing. I want to define what good is instead of remembering that God is good. Because it's about that, they just didn't trust that he was good in the end. And they were tempted to go in a different direction, and they did. God is good. It's, it's this, um, you know, following Jesus, being a Christian, having our God be the one true God, Yahweh, is, a, is an act of faith. And that act of faith involves believing that he is good. I, I, I want to make sure that you see that, that there is that hurdle. If you're not a believer here today, we, if, you're, if you are, we have stepped over that hurdle. If you have not stepped over that hurdle, part of it is believing that God is good. So, here's another thing that is good. Good is being in the presence of God. The ultimate good is being in the presence of God. Anything we do that moves us into his presence, into knowing him better, to walking with him, any of, anything like that is bringing us into goodness. And his end goal with human beings is to bring us into his presence, to bring us into that fully good place. So good is in his presence, 
That's one aspect of good. And another is that good leads us to praise him. So if you're trying to define it, if you're thinking about what it means to you, these are at least two aspects of good that we see in the scripture. So our good, now let's talk about his good for a minute. When I was a kid also, uh, my, kid, my sisters and I, we would you know, take turns praying around that same table where I almost got that uh, thing shoved down my throat by my mom. Um, and we had this standard prayer. I don't know why it was acceptable, but it was, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, amen. Anybody grow up with that one? All right. (laughs) I still think it from time to time. Um, God is great, God is good. That simple prayer right there, as as rote as it was, the thing that I just said, you know, automatically, is such a profound truth in my life and our lives today, if you're a follower of Christ. God is good. Like I said, one of the most powerful aspects of my relationship and understanding of God is that he is good. I can depend on him to be good. Regardless of what I see, I can depend on him to be good. Regardless of what happens in my life, I can depend on him to be good. And I was learning that truth in this little tiny phrase that I was saying as a child. So how do we apprehend what is good? How do we sort of take it in? How do we understand this idea of good and take it away from, from ourselves, from our, the, this selfish, introspective uh, perspective? Well, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, but I want to bring it up again. This theological term called general revelation. And general revelation is just a big, fat way to say it's what we see in creation without anything else, that directs us to God. Remember, God created, and he said, this is good. And I would wager that everyone who I just saw and met outside that is in town this week is here because you want to see the creation that God has made, and it points you to him. Hey, there's Abby. Look at that. Another, I guarantee you came from Washington, D.C. to see the beauty of what God has made. Not that D.C. is not beautiful, but you came here... For that, I know that you did in the relationships that you have here that are beautiful. Nature in itself directs us to him, whether it be thinking about the complexity of any part of us or anything that's created. The the cosmos directs us to see the maker of the universe, and that's throughout the scripture. I do remember a thing that happened to my son, Michael. He's in college now, but he was uh, with Claire, his mom, at uh, a little music lesson, and he was probably in first or second grade. And the teacher was teaching, in, and it was at his home, and he was in his, his study teaching room. And so they went into the den, and he had a big TV, and the TV was on for them to watch while they were waiting. And so Michael goes and sits down in front of the TV, little innocent little dude, and there's this ocean scene and a little seal is swimming across and then this great white shark (laughs) of nature destroys that thing (laughs) I don't know you remember that Claire yeah (laughs) yeah so Michael's like (gasps) you know if that's the only impression we had of nature, it would be hard, you know, to see it as good. I mean, you have to get way down the road in understanding how what life works to get that as good. But nature points us by general revelation. We just generally, essentially, understand 
that there's something bigger out there, and that thing is, is our God. But we also know from a thing called special revelation, and that's another big way to say the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us about the specifics of who God is in His goodness and many other things. Nature points us to a non-moral understanding of what goodness is in God. But the scripture is what tells us truly what is good. Now, I would challenge you this week, if you spend time with God alone, to think about what we would do without the scripture helping us to give us a standard footing about what is good. Who decides what's good? What kind of mess would we be in? Maybe we're already in that mess. (laughs) But... Because we live in a broken world, we have departed. We've departed from the, this understanding of what true goodness is. But the place that it comes from is the scripture. Think about it. If you're not a believer, just think about where do you get your understanding of what is good? A little bit from what's out and what's here, and it all works together, and sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's not. And the next piece is that there are truths, there is right and wrong, there is good. And there is evil. And God has explained it to us in his word. And that's why it's so precious to us. There's this unusual thing that happens in the scripture. I want to read you this. This is in the New Testament. This guy comes up to Jesus. And Jesus gives him a very unusual answer to his question. This is in Mark 10. Jesus was setting out on a journey. And a man ran up and knelt before him. Just picture that scene. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So before answering the question, Jesus stops him and he says, Why do you call me good? There is no one good except God alone. No one good except God alone. Jesus right there is establishing that he is under the authority, even within the Trinity, of the God of the universe and who and what is good. It's a powerful thing, and it's confusing unless you understand how that works, how, at least some level, how they work together. God is good. He is what is good. Another quote from, from C.S. Lewis. I always love it when I can find these that really work. Um, Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about duties, and rules, and guilt, and virtue. Yet it leads you on, out of all that, into something beyond. One has a glimpse of a country where they don't talk of those things, except perhaps as a joke. Everyone there is filled full with what we should call goodness. As a mirror is filled with light. But they don't call it goodness. They don't call it anything. They're not thinking of it. They're too busy looking at the source from which it comes. God is good. Now, some of us are thinking, well, okay, if God is good, what about evil? How do we handle what's happening, what we see, what we understand? I certainly cannot answer that question for you right now. However, I will say this one thing. 
our inability to perceive the end result or the why to answer the question about evil that happens in our lives or other, other people's lives does not mean that God is not good. That's the proposition that I'm setting before you. Yes, there is evil. We cannot understand how it interacts with our God. But it does not mean that God is not good. So faith becomes critical because if we don't have faith, we don't know that God is making all things right because he is good. And that in the end, that evil we will understand. In the end. But our inability to understand it now does not mean that he is not good. So, we have our good, and we have his good. But there's another aspect within this, this little passage, this little, this little two lines that David wrote that I want to point out that I think is critical. Let me read it to you one more time. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Now listen to this sentence here. For his steadfast love endures forever. This is a truth that's repeated time and time again when, it's ta- when the Bible's talking about the goodness of God. It'll tie with it this idea of a steadfast love or eternal love that he has. So this goodness is love that is both steadfast and endures forever. So I just want to think about this just for a moment with you guys. I don't think the importance of this can be, can be overestimated. So the first thing it's saying is that love is good. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. We know that generally, but we know it specifically here. This confirms for us that that inkling that we had that love is good is good. And God is the author of that thing. Now, we don't have time for a, a treatise on love, and I certainly hardly know anything about it. But... This love that is good, that it is describing, is the perfect love that we have some sense of, but is beyond anything that we can imagine. Just as much as good is, just as much as God is good, and we can't wrap our minds around that, but we flit around the edges of it and barely touch it, the same with love. This is that perfect love. In fact, love so intense for us, that Jesus would submit himself to the cross so that we could, in the end, be made right with God. You know, as I've been studying this this stuff about God's character and I see this kind of thing, it seems so simple and we've all heard it so many times, but we let ourselves sink into the idea that we see in the scripture that Jesus did this because he loved us so much. Remember, you learned that maybe in second grade. And because of that love, which is good, he is restoring relationship with us and God. That is good. That is love. But there's two descriptions of that love that come after it. One is that it's steadfast, and another one is that it's eternal. It's everlasting. And we, wanna, we need to understand those just briefly because they mean something in the scripture. They sound like they're the same thing. It's steadfast, so it lasts a long time, and it, it endures forever. So those sound like they're saying the same thing, but they're not. 
Steadfast love in the Bible is a special thing. It's a unique thing. That's a special word, one word that means steadfast love. And when it says it, it's always, I think it's always talking about God. Our staff was talking about this this week in our, in our meeting and just looking through this passage, and Tyler said something that really uh, resonated. It was just the most down-to-earth, simple thought around this. Uh, he said, that steadfast love means so much to me because it is so persistent despite what I do to rebel against my God. It is steadfast. Steadfast means that it's all on the side of God. Regardless of what we do for you, each one of you, and for me, he persists in loving us individually, minute after minute after minute. That is part of the goodness of God because it is God's love. You know, of all this beautiful creation, of all the animals, all the things that we see, everything, the only rebellious part of creation is sitting in this room. Everything else does what it's supposed to do. Except us. Without knowing that his love is steadfast, that those things go together, what do we have? Okay, so steadfast love is a thing, but that it endures forever. And I just, I want to close with this. And I think it's, uh, it's just so, uh, it's so important. The fact that his good love lasts forever, it means that the rules don't change. Think about that. The rules aren't going to change. So we know from the scripture, and we probably know intrinsically, generally, that we are not worthy of a relationship with the one true, perfect, holy God. Right? We can't fix that. We couldn't fix it. But because the rules don't change, Jesus crossed that line and made it possible for us to be reunited in relationship with God. To be forgiven and restored. Because the rules don't change. And when we cross that line of faith, we are in relationship. As the Bible says, we're adopted into his family. And that doesn't change. You can't earn it and you can't lose it. Those are the rules. We're brought into relationship with him only because of Jesus and through faith. And y'all, I just want to say, that is good. So I'm going to ask the musicians to come back up. We're going to do one more song. And as they come, I want to go back in First Chronicles and just read a couple of verses before 34. We're going to go back to 29. And as I read this, Think about the character of God that this reveals and think about nature, that general revelation and the specific things that the scripture is telling us about who God is and what goodness is and what it leads us to. Okay, so 1629. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. 
Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever.